0: We've got a rarity here today, a midday show, no game to talk about, and we got Kyle in the studio. How are you doing, Kyle?
1: I'm very out of the habit now of being here in the office with you. I see you at the arena from time to time, but it's gone from seeing you every single day to only talking to you on Zoom, so nice to be back here. There's some Friendsgiving <laughs> activity out in the PHLY offices that I forgot to bring my thing that oh, I set man. out on my... Counter this morning, so I'm gonna to have to abstain from our festivities today. But you know, other than that, things are going swimmingly for me. I would say.
0: You you were you going to cook food or just buy stuff from the grocery? I'm very. Much I guess I guess
1: you'll there. you'll never know. There, it's a mystery <laughs> that will live on forever.
0: All right, so I think there's a bunch to talk about, and we've had Kyle on the previous two shows uh, to talk about the games. We're obviously going to talk way more about that here to get more of Kyle's perspective. If, if you're unaware of Kyle's perspective, he has been writing about the games. Go to allphly.com. You can get his instant reactions there. We will get a little more in-depth here. Before that, you know, one of the players that we talked about a lot before the season, Zach Levine, he has been brought back up in the trade rumor mill, the reporting, and I'm, I'm going to sort of like summarize it. I don't have the report directly in front of me, but that there are interest or acknowledgement from both sides that a trade might be explored uh, from the Bulls and Levine's camp. So it sounds like there is a possibility he has moved. Again, we've talked about Levine quite a bit here. Is there anything that has maybe caused you to change your stance uh, and where do you stand on overall just acquiring Zach Levine?
1: Yeah. So I think, Derek, you and I are probably still on the same page where ideal world, and I would say most people's ideal world, you want to get a two-way guy. If they're making a big trade this season, someone who...
0: And by two-way guy, you mean a player who can contribute on both sides of the floor, not someone on one of those three <laughs> two-way slots, which the NBA made infinitely more confusing by calling him that.
1: Well, listen, man. Terquavion Smith could be a two-way he, guy I, in both well, ways. You I never mean. know. <laughs> Kyle
0: could want a two-way guy, or he could want very specifically Terquavion Smith. I never truly know. There's uh, validity in both of those.
1: So as much as I don't love OG Ananobi, that's... The profile of the type of player I think we're talking about here, right? Someone who has succeeded in a Nick Nurse system in the past, has a lot of defensive upside, certainly has some wrinkles that you got to iron out on offense. But with Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid leading the way, I think you could see the vision for him here. The reason that I, I think it's at least worth some pause is that Every time Zach Levine has come up as it relates to the Sixers, you and I both know, Derek, we talked to a lot of the same people. There's been a lot of instant pushback like, oh, no, no, thank you. We're we're not that interested. We'll we'll do the due diligence and that sort of deal. But they dismiss it, I won't say offhand, but they're very quick to say we're not trading for Zach Levine. And based on the reporting that's out there right now, I mean, first it was Shams Taranya saying, There's more urgency to trade him now. I guess there's a lot of people in Chicago for some start of the season college basketball tournaments right now. So executives are huddled together, potentially making some moves. It seems like the price is not going to be maybe as high as the Bulls wanted when they were quietly shopping him in the offseason. There was a report from... Jovan, I always forget his last name. Jovan Buha at The Athletic regarding the Lakers' stance on Zach Levine, saying they're not willing to give up Austin Reeves for him. Well, if the Lakers aren't willing to give up him, they don't really have much. They have very limited draft capital to move. And frankly, there are very few teams out there right now that profile as must have Zach Levine type suitors. And so I'm sort of wondering. When does the price become low enough that you almost have to put your hat in the ring? And I think we might be approaching that if we're looking at it from the Sixers' perspective.
0: I guess what's your—because before the season, I think we would have said it probably would have cost matching salary and two firsts, something in that range. By low enough, do you mean like matching salary and one first? Like what, I guess, what kind are you thinking? Right, so here? could
1: you trade one, let's say good first, a good first— The Clippers pick a matching or a salary filler type contract and maybe like one D'Anthony Melton type player. Like is I, the Sixers can't make a deal like that because they'd have to, if you're doing a Melton level de- or a sort of deal, I think they probably have to stack a bunch of contracts up on one another. But I, I think if you get into that type of territory and Levine's contract is looked at as more of a a tax that you're paying to acquire the player, which I'm going to get to in a second. I don't know that that's the case having sat down and thought about it a little bit. Then I think you're in territory where it's like, yeah, maybe you just take the home run swing and go for him. I still don't think it's not my preferred outcome. I still think ultimately you sit and wait and see, okay, what do we do in January with Marcus Morris's contract? Do you want to move Tobias potentially for and Tobias has been really good, but do you move Tobias for a guy that's locked in for, two or three years, rather than on an expiring. I know that everyone's expecting cap space, cap space, cap space, but maybe they use it in a different way. I don't know, some of this is just being driven by the fact that I have to watch this team run out these awful backup units every night, and not that you trade for Zach Levine because you can't win with Marcus Morris and Pat Bev on the floor, but it's at least made me think about it a little bit these last few days.
0: Yeah, look, I was, you know, I guess I'd phrase it as lukewarm on Zach Levine before the season started. And now that you're sitting here and Tyrese Maxey, maybe not last night, but for the most part here has looked like a viable superstar level perimeter creator. Uh, I'm probably even less lukewarm on that, colder on Zach Levine. I still think if you are going to, like you talk about the price being low enough, I think if, if you're going to acquire him, it's probably going to cost you your best pick. It's probably going to cost you that Clippers first round pick. And it's hard for me to then see them be able being able to match salary and include that first-round pick in this Levine deal, and still be a major player at a subsequent deal at the deadline. So you're really hamstringing yourself if you do this. So it does come back to me. Even at a low price, is this the guy that you view as the final piece? And I think on the one hand, you know Zach Levine has some traits that would be really interesting next to Embiid. Maxi, mm-hmm. like he has been at various points an elite catch and shoot player. He has been this year. In fact, his, his catch and shoot numbers are down in terms of effective field goal percentage, about 15 to 18% than they were from where they were two years ago. I expect that to bounce back. I don't think at 28 years old, Zach Levine has forgotten how to shoot. I don't think those catch-and-shoot shots have gotten appreciably tougher. I think he's just in a slump. So I think some people look at it and say he's having the worst year of his career. Don't get him now. I'm not swayed by that at all. So I think the catch-and-shoot stuff, I think what he can do off screens, off ball, uh, I think that's interesting theoretically i think his offensive skill set is one that you would want next to uh, maxi in terms of being able to create a little bit being able to operate off ball i think all of that is great there's two things i worry about one is he willing to buy into his role or is he going to want to be the primary initiator on the perimeter i think that should be Maxi going forward and if he's not willing to buy into that even if he has a skill set to excel in the role if he wants more out of his role that's going to eventually become a problem but even more so is he willing to buy in at all on the defensive side of the court and if he's not, can you succeed? Can you, you know, tread water enough defensively in the playoffs to win at the highest levels? And look, if you are getting apex, like top of his game, Zach Levine, maybe you can live with the defensive concerns. but yeah. You have to have a good defender next to him and you have to put him in a role where you're getting the most out of him you reasonably could. It's not going to happen here in Philly. He's going to have less of a a usage rate, less of a role, because he's playing next to Embiid and Maxi. and it's just I don't want to commit all of my remaining resources or at least a significant enough chunk of it that's going to hamstring you for a guy that's going to be in a role that you're not going to be able to get the most out of, especially because he's not on the other side of the court going to give you really anything.
1: Yeah, and I think the defensive concerns, Derek, are why I ultimately probably still say the Sixers are right to approach it this way because somebody actually asked me on Twitter well didn't you guys say this about Kelly Oubre in terms of there's defensive about buy-in? 200
0: million reasons why it's different
1: <laughs> the, the defensive buy-in in the offseason and to be clear I think Kelly Oubre while he hasn't been a great defender over the course of his career he's more in the inconsistent yeah. category
0: I, I would actually push back on that pretty strongly if you go back to our 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 uh shows when they first uh, acquired him, hired him, uh, acquired him. They did hire him, That's true, we just don't talk about it in those terms. (laughs) We said that we felt more comfortable with his role defensively than with his offensive role because we thought there was something to build on and he was at least an occasional contributor on that end if you can get him to buy in. So the, the defensive concerns I would push back on, I think we were pretty optimistic about him defensively. And crucially, we said, look, we don't necessarily believe in Kelly, but we think it's worth the gamble given what they had to give up, which is pretty much nothing, just a roster spot it was a good signing to make, we just didn't have the most confidence. Here it's completely different because you're giving up draft assets, because you're giving up trade flexibility, because you're giving up, what, $40 million a year or whatever his contract is, it's a very different proposition.
1: Yeah, and look, Zach Levine has not been an inconsistent defender. He's just been bad. That's a a big difference between him and Kelly. And to your point about the, the acquisition costs, it's also once he gets here, When Kelly Oubre shows up after signing a minimum deal in the offseason, Nick Nurse and Daryl Morey, prior to him even signing, are telling him things like, look, you have an opportunity but no guarantee, right? Right? He shows up, and if Kelly didn't buy in on defense, if Kelly didn't shoot well, play well, buy into the team concepts, Nick Nurse could have easily gone to him and say, look, buddy, you're benched. You're not doing what I'm asking you to do. You're not good enough to justify me having to live with the ups and downs, the roller coaster. Unfortunately, with somebody like Levine, if Levine comes in here and he doesn't buy into the team concept and he doesn't buy into defending, well, you don't really have any other choice but to play through it and hope that he eventually figures it out. And honestly, he's pretty far into his career for a star level guy. I'd say like at minimum, he's a fringe star. He might be a a flawed star, sub star type guy, but he's at least made an all star team and is that type of player it's a lot harder for you to convince me that that type of player can change their stripes in the middle of their career. And so that I agree with you, Derek would be concern. Number one for me is that he's going to blow up some of the good things you do have going in the early stages with nurse. And if you're talking about trying to establish a culture and a new identity under Nick, I think he might actively undermine that.
0: Yeah. Look, it would be one thing if, if we're having this discussion next summer, when you're at a point where you pretty much have to make a decision with your cap space and your assets or lose them where you're pushed up against a deadline and this was your best opportunity. Then maybe you can talk me into like, he's got enough offensive skill. I believe in, in the chance that if he figures it out, he could fit as a third elite option next to Embiid and Maxi. And there's no other real two-way option out there, but to give up that flexibility, to give up the chance to make a move that you maybe believe in a little more. There's a very hard a uh, high bar for me. Um, And he just doesn't clear it because of the concerns I would have over him wanting a larger role on offense. And very specifically because of the concerns I have that he just won't buy in defensively at all. And you mentioned it. It's not that he's an inconsistent bed uh, defender. He's very consistent with his defense. It's not good enough. (laughs) And it's not good enough that I think he's going to be able to win alongside of maxi at a high level in the postseason.
1: So the only other thing that I would say as a devil's advocate type position we're obviously just guessing based on the next TV deal that we don't know what that's going to look like. There have been actually rumors as recently as this week that Netflix might be interested in buying rights to the in-season tournament. And so, there, I mean, we have no idea who's going to broadcast games, who's going to pick up these various pieces of the NBA pie. But the, val- or the salary cap is likely to go up whenever this deal is finally yes. agreed to. How much it goes up is going to impact how bad or at least acceptable Levine's contract is moving forward. I think a big reason the Sixers have had the stance they have on Zach is that they think it's a bad contract. I don't think they want to be tied up in the Zach Levine business over the long term. But if the cap goes up by 10% every year, which is theoretically possible, depending on who they're getting money from and how invested teams or organizations are in live TV rights, which are always super expensive for sports, Levine can end up in a couple years being like 27 28% of the cap, which it's not great if he's not defending and he has all the weaknesses that he currently has. But it's better than him taking up 35% of the cap. And there is some of the calculus we have to do right now is, okay, guys moving down the line are going to have – even more insane contracts like Jalen Brown just got a 300 plus million super max contract in the offseason. and more and more of those types of deals are coming. So our, our standard for what an overpriced or overspend is at this point is going to change. It's just how much will that change? And that's a complete unknown from where we
0: sit today. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of sticker shock here over the next couple of years when players sign deals. Um, I mean, what did, uh, what did McDaniel sign with in Minnesota? What
1: oh, was that? that was a like Five
0: years, one. Uh, I should know that off the top of my head. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of those kind of deals. Hundred
1: thirty-six million yeah. over five years.
0: Where, like, you're like, man, that guy's not even averaging ten per game. Now he's a fantastic defender, but role players, like, I don't want to call him role player because he's borderline elite defensively. Still, role player usually. Yeah. Um, players like that are getting massive, you know, hundred-plus million-dollar deals. That's going to be regular occurrences. So I do agree with you. His contract might not be, and there's been some cold water thrown on the TV deal. It might not be as much as we were expecting. It might not be the guaranteed 10% year over year raises that we were talking about it like last summer. That being said, it is going to go up. We just don't know how much it's going to go up. That contract might not be as much of an albatross as it currently is, but you are going to become like that. To me, it's almost even more so than just the contract. It's the trade assets. It is the inflexibility in the summer. That is your last piece to sort of go all in. I have to be really, really confident, and I'm just not.
1: That's fair enough. All right, let's hold that thought for one second, take a quick break to talk so about what you our- are
0: confident in is AG1.
1: <laughs> they, look at that segue, <laughs> buddy. You can tell you've been reading a lot of ad a reads. A lot of ad add- I'm the so arena. happy
0: to have you back, buddy.
1: So yeah, our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it- I won't say every single day, but close to every single day I've been making it a a big part of my life. And I gave AG1 a try because as Derek will certainly attest to and has said on this very show, we work very weird hours. Our diets can collapse during the season and I need something to replenish my vitamins and get me going in the morning. And since I started adding some AG1 to my morning routine a couple of weeks ago, I can feel a noticeable difference in terms of my energy in the mornings. And I have always historically struggled then because I am a big time night owl, have been for a long time. And AG1 replaces all of my multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit helps me build your health from the foundation first. When you take AG1 every day, you're starting a micro habit with macro benefits and you're doing it in the simplest way possible. I got a nice shaker bottle. I put my scoop in, I mix it up and I I can walk right out the door with it. It's easy as can be. And at the cost of less than $3 a day, your body cannot afford to not have AG1 if you're asking me. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag onecom Sixers. That's drinkag1.com/phlysixers. So check it out today.
0: So on a similar note, there uh, for some unknown reason, they put me in front of a camera five days a week. As <laughs> such, I have been trying to trim off. The pesky last few pounds, and in doing so, you know, I've been trying to go to a a low-carb bread for years. I've been using a store brand. Now I just put in an order for um, Hero Bread. Uh, Not only do I find that it better fits my dietary needs, but it tastes delicious, and they have a wide variety of offerings from sliced bread, tortillas, burgers, hot dog buns buns, and more, delivered directly to your door, so you can enjoy all the taste without the guilt. The bread is fluffy, delicious, and flavorful, high in fiber and low on net carbs with fewer calories than a leading national brand and five to 10 grams of protein per serving. And you can either place a one-off order or set up a subscription. So you can get Hero Bread delivered to your door every two weeks, every month, or whatever you need to make sure you're stocked up and ready to go. Right now, Hero Bread is offering the PHLY fam 10% off their first order. Just go to hero.co and use our code PHLY to save on Hero Bread today. That's H-E-R-O.co to save 10% today
1: we go right back in the ad read flow hashtag there (laughs) all right (laughs) Pompey so I would say this we can put a bow on the Levine thing unless you have a lot more the other reason I'd at least give it some consideration not a ton I'm I'm not like fired up about Zach by any means but when you watch that Boston game last night even with them being down Jalen Brown and Chris Haps Porzingis I do worry like, let's say OG or a guy who profiles in that territory is their big acquisition later on this season. Teams are going to load up, especially the Celtics, against Tyrese, and yep. I'm not sure they have recourse for when no, that happens. I agree. Derek White and Drew Holiday, granted, are the best defensive backcourt in the league, would torture basically any team, but when Maxie and Embiid are your tent poles, right? And we all have seen Joel have turnover problems historically against Boston. I actually did, for all the issues I had with them last night, I actually did a decent job of not turning the ball over except for in a couple of bad spots. But I just think in a playoff series, if you're asking Tyrese to have to split doubles and make the right plays and more importantly, you're asking the likes of Melton and Batum and Tobias to then be high-level decision makers when Tyrese gets rid of the ball or Joel gets rid of the ball out of double teams, I'm not really sure that I trust them in a playoff setting to do that. And that's not to say that I think Zach Levine is like Mr. Primetime performer. He's barely ever played in the playoffs. Essentially that has not been good enough in the regular season to get there. But if he comes here and he's your third guy, you put him in like a Chris Middleton type role. I don't know, man, I I could see it potentially working. It'd be a big risk. And I understand why they're probably not going to take it, but I am concerned, having watched that game last night, fresh in my mind, that that could be a a problem that becomes clearer over time.
0: No, they need his skill set for sure. They need a, a someone who can you know switch between on ball and off ball, function as a primary creator when Tyrese is on the bench. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute here. It's been maddening. Somebody who can be you know off ball when Tyrese is on the floor. They need that for sure. It's just too much money, too many assets. And too little defense and too much uncertainty for it to be that specific. Like, they need his archetype, just not maybe that specific version of it. Uh, You know, if it were me, like, maybe you get someone like OG, and OG doesn't solve the lack of ball handler thing, but you have enough resources to go out and get somebody, you know, that has sort of Zach's skill set, but at a lesser level. Maybe somebody like the one I'm going to bring up because I think he would be cheap is Gordon Hayward. I don't know if you want that specifically to be Gordon Hayward because he's so injury-prone and unreliable, but somebody of that ilk who's maybe not going to drop 25 to 27 per night, but it's going to give you some of that creation, some of that off-ball shooting. And he can give
1: you a solid 15 a night. He's a reliable option. um, You have
0: enough resources then left to get someone like OG who can be a a long-term tentpole of your team. I don't think someone like OG is going to be just enough. I think there's got to be another piece alongside of him because those problems you bring up are real. I just don't think dumping all of your high-level assets into Zach Levine is going to leave you with enough.
1: Yeah, I I tend to agree, and I I think I'll probably start hating the backup minutes a lot less once Kelly is back and, and Batum, once Batum, even Batum is yeah yeah because Batum can be a secondary action guy. I know Nick was trying even to just
0: make an entry pass, just making an entry to Joel would be so nice right now. Yeah, so well
1: because nice. something that has become or something that is part of the problem is that. Nick has in many ways loaded up those maxi-only minutes, right? Mm -hmm. I I think Tobias is basically exclusively playing in those minutes. He's coming out with Tyrese, and he's part of that Joel-less lineup that goes out to open second and fourth quarters. If Tobias is in the Embiid minutes or Embiid lineups, we might be saying the same thing about the Tyrese-led units, right? They just don't have enough shot creation. They don't have enough this. They don't have enough shooting spacing defense whatever it is so tobias ends up being a big swing piece so maybe if you get og and og plays those minutes with joel you're just monstrous enough defensively and have just enough on offense that you're able to survive even if you don't get high level shot creation
0: And you know we've got someone like Ethan in the chat mentioning we're never going to out defense Boston. That's true. Boston is is in a very unique spot where all of their good offensive players are also good defensive players. It doesn't very frequently happen. They have so much size and switchability on the perimeter. What you can't do is give up fifty threes. And that was a game last night where they gave up fifty three point attempts. They only lost by ten. I felt like if Boston was making their open shots, that could have been a twenty point loss pretty easily. Yeah. They really had struggles defending the perimeter. Last night, really the last couple of nights, they were able to overcome it two games ago. Not always going to be able to do that. Uh, I do think you need more contributors, more solid one-on-one defenders, guys who are not constantly putting out fires. Introducing Levine to the equation is only going to make that worse.
1: Yeah, it, it would be a giant risk, and I think it's very clear why <laughs> they're saying thanks, but no thanks to that proposition. And we do have Randy also asked in the chat, is OG's price going to be lower than Levine's? I would say the answer is absolutely no. not.
0: Yeah, no, I agree.
1: Because the
0: combination of the defense, the 3 and D, and the the youth, um, and Maasai. And the Messiah <laughs> tax
1: that's on it. So here's the other thing. I My belief is that, and this could change as we get deeper into the season, I think the Raptors are more inclined to try to hold on to OG than Siakam I, because I think there's been, there's credible reporting out there that There were talks between, I think it was Toronto and Atlanta, I want to say, in the offseason that they had given a Siakam trade some forethought, and I don't know that Siakam is long for Toronto, whereas I think OG on the contract he's likely to get in the offseason could probably be convinced to stay, and so I think Masai might be willing to roll the dice there. And so I think Siakam ends up probably being the guy more likely to be moved I don't think that's with Philadelphia either for various reasons. The main of which is that he and the coach don't really like each other as far as I can tell. So, yeah, that, it's going to be tough to get the exact guy that I think a lot of people want. But the reason the other reason the Sixers are saying eh, on Levine is that they want to wait and see how things shake out. You don't know who's going to become available by January, February, I know the Memphis Grizzlies have come up a ton on this podcast for whatever reason, but maybe whatever
0: reason you bring them up all the time. No, I know, but I'm saying (laughs) it just become
1: like a running thing to bring up the Grizzlies, but they've been so bad that it's like, well, do they reconsider Marcus Smart as one of their pieces there and move him and then that becomes kind of a middle ground option between. He's a he can at least dribble a little bit and he can run the offense certainly when Tyrese Maxey isn't in the game. But he's also not on the high end of the value the OG Ananobi spectrum. So maybe that's a play that's available in January. But I don't I personally don't know if I can handle any more Celtic sleeper agents, if you're asking me.
0: <laughs> yes. It didn't work out well the first time. Uh but you know, Chicago's interesting. They have I wouldn't say a super tough schedule, but they have a lot of other similarly talented teams. They've got the Magic again. They just lost the Magic. uh, Two against the Heat. They've got Boston. They've got Brooklyn, Toronto, Oklahoma City. Like there's a bunch of games there where they'll have a chance, but none of them are going to be easy. And they're currently sitting here at four and eight. And if they end up, let's say, going two and four over their next six, or even stretch that out, maybe four and seven, whatever, you end up looking up and they're at like eight and 15 on the season. That timeline of that trade might just end up being earlier in the season than maybe Daryl wants it to, especially for a, a a you know really big consequential move like that. We'll see. Um, I just I, I would be very surprised if he is a very viable candidate. Yep, I we have to talk about it, report on it,
1: think about it. But I think end of the day, the Sixers have been pretty clear. There have been few times when they've been this decisive in what they've said about a player and then gone back on that. I mean, even Jimmy, I thought was like a no-chance type thing, it would be the only comparison when they traded for Butler. And that came down to how I was leading the podcast. The price for Jimmy was basically nothing. Gosh, no. They yeah. they gave him away. Like no disrespect to Cove and Dario oh, yeah. and Jared yeah. Bayless, but Jimmy Butler for those three was the absolute no-brainer of the last 10 years for the Sixers. So Levine is available for a straight up, I don't know, like straight up for Tobias. Oh, sure. Do that. Like it's just the talent bet alone is worth it. And you improve the the three point profile that I know has come up in the chat and that we've talked about quite a bit that they're just not shooting enough threes right now. But yeah, I I think the value proposition just won't be there.
0: I agree. And I, I like the three point, he helps your three point, problems i'm going to say problems loosely like they are still a top five offense in a league but i think the lack of three-point volume comes down to two things one you just don't have very many players who are comfortable taking a high volume of threes especially if maxi is going to be denied the way he was against celtics they're going to do so much to try to keep the ball out of his hands you lose two things you lose your highest volume shooter and you lose one of the two people who can really create an open three for his teammates mm-hmm. uh, levine accomplishes both of those where he will you know, get shots just from coming off of pick and roll. He will get shots off ball just by losing his man. And also he has enough, he's not a great passer, but he has enough passing where he can make that pass to the open shooter in the corner. All of that is true. He would certainly help a lot of the offensive concerns you have. It's just, don't believe in the rest of the game.
1: We have people are down bad about that Celtics loss, by the way, RJ's in the comments saying Al Horford's the best player in the league. Certainly looks like it when he's playing against the Sixers. It's so funny. Somebody posted the I think it was the last five to 10 games for both Horford and Derek White. And both of them had had very pedestrian stretches Mm -hmm. leading into this game. And of course, I no, I think Derek White has a lot more to offer right now than Horford on a night to night basis. But to see Derek White come out and what do you have like 27 points last night and then Horford was putting the clamps on Joel yep. and frustrating him all night. So yeah, it's one of those the, things that just never changes.
0: The great <laughs> thing about the Horford signing, and I, I, I use that term in quotes. You took a player who's really good at defending Joel and you let him practice against him almost every day, and it seems like he just has every trick in the book. Every time Joel has that turnaround, he's right there timing it perfectly. It's just infuriating. It's just it's, infuriating.
1: Listen, as someone whose emotions went out the window for this team quite a while ago at this point, <laughs> it's still really... I have said to Derek many times, I called Al Horford El Bandito for all the money that he stole while he was in Philadelphia. So to see him... Step into the Oklahoma City sabbatical year, and then come back to the Celtics, and now he's just like the same Al Horford that tortured Joel forever yeah. ago. It's, it just blows your mind a little bit. You know what also blows my mind? The ticket prices you can get by buying tickets through the Game Time app, guys. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. I know the Sixers are coming off a pair of losses on a back to back, but they are eight and three. They're, they've been a lot better than expected. And you really want to be down there. It's still a very good time being at the Wells Fargo Center for these games. Whatever the expectations are coming into the season, people get up for these games once they're there. And with the Game Time app, there are killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee means you can stop stressing over the tickets, start getting hyped for all the fun you're going to have. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance because GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. I always have to say, I think that's incredible. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code P-H-L-Y for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed.
0: All right. I think, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk here about the Kelly Oubre situation, uh, reporting that the police have not found video to confirm uh, the accident, and that led to a lot of then speculation online, which then led to some questioning to Nick Nurse at the pre- pre-game press conference yesterday, which you were in attendance for, and I think, I guess, sort of like, let's just give a recap of what we know and where we stand, and then we can sort of give our thoughts on maybe how that was handled.
1: Do you want to go first? <laughs> sure.
0: So I like basically, I think pretty much what I just said. The police have not uh, located footage to confirm uh, and, and and corroborate the accident. And I think that led to some people at the Nick Nurse press conference sort of phrasing it in a way where it had been reported, and this is how they were phrasing it, that um, Nick or Kelly was not injured at a car accident, which that is not at all what we know. We just know that there is not right now um, video evidence that they will locate. And it's just, it was sort of amazing. And since then, The, you know, Kelly Oubre's ring video of when he came home after the accident has been released. And again, after he was uh, allegedly hit, he then went home. And after that, then filed the police report. And that was video of him just returning. And I don't want to necessarily say that's proof, but it is like the way that that was phrased and that press conference was handled. Just because you do not have video evidence does not mean what he said was a lie. And for reporters, I feel like especially should understand that. And, you know, look, there's the the main reporter in question. I mean, Howard Eskin, we can just mention him by name. <laughs> he spent his career trying to get attention for the most part. That's his job. Oh, to get I didn't know
1: Derek was loading up for a I'm Howard really Eskin segment. Too much.
0: <laughs> but I feel like sometimes when you take that sort of instinct and put it in like a real life sort of scenario, your job as a reporter in that instance isn't to sort of... Take the uncertainty and fill it in with your own details. It is to try to get the details. And I just think it's wildly unfair to say, to phrase what the police have said and say Kelly was lying. It was a wild jump to get to. I don't know how necessarily it happened other than the fact that we sort of live for attention. And I think it's just sit back, wait for all the details to come out, try to get those details yourself, But you can't just then fill it in with your own sort of like fanfic. And it was wild how that sort of turned out.
1: Yeah. And beyond the Howards of the world, the even worse ones are there like faceless accounts on Twitter and Instagram, like crime following accounts that are making wild accusations, which I saw. I believe it was Randy or someone in the chat mentioned the ring video that popped up on TMZ, how crazy it is that something like that comes out. I would venture a guess that part of the reason, a big part of the reason that comes out is because there is an account, or there's a tweet that goes semi-viral yesterday yep. with the phrase domestic assault attached to Ubre's name. Right. And so Kelly Oubre and his wife, who from everything we know, are, she had nothing to do with this incident at all. We saw the video of her or at least he's off camera talking with Kelly as he comes back injured from the incident and they're trying to clear their name in some ways. Like, look, we're not having problems. Like Kelly was hurt and went to the hospital and as far as we know was hit by a car and people are making all kinds of wild accusations about what he did, what he didn't do, whether he's lying, whether he's telling the truth. So the overarching point that Derek is making, which I a hundred percent agree with is like, The lack of current evidence, at least that that is being reported to the public, does not mean that Kelly Oubre just made up everything that (laughs) happened. It means that we don't know the complete full story of how this unfolded, who it involved, where it took place even. Because honestly, the most understandable thing about this whole process is that Kelly moved to a new place and doesn't know every cross street or maybe where he was. The simplest explanation is probably the correct one here. And look, I said it on our show after the post game last night, but for those who missed it, I talked to a law enforcement source of my own and the explanation that I was given, now they did not make any kind of declarations for the time being, but that in a lot of these examples, people will see, oh, he's in an area and you see a lot of cameras and just assume like, oh, we can see everything that happened and there is always going to be available footage when the truth is 50% of those cameras don't work. 50% of that 50% are probably not well-maintained. And so any footage that you actually end up with in most cases is barely usable if it's usable at all. And then on top of that, the police are incentivized to say, if they have shoddy evidence, they're going to say publicly, they have nothing because it does not benefit them whatsoever to come out and say, oh, our video is bullshit and we're not going to be able to find this guy. It's better for them to say we're continuing to investigate and you wait to see until you can paint a complete picture here. And it's also very important to note here, Kelly has not been accused of doing anything wrong by the police. If he was, he would have been brought in for like some kind of big statement and questioning by now. All that's up for debate is, at the moment, is what exactly happened, and until that happens, I don't need people grandstanding at a press conference acting like this guy like committed a murder or did something wrong because he is hurt right
0: now. And that really is, like, grandstanding is the best way you can describe what Eskin does at these press conferences. And, you know, I was actually, I was listening to Cataldi. Uh, he was on the right circuit Sanchez with Spike. And he said something, and I actually, I I, I I've really softened on Angelo over the years. Uh, I actually think he's a smart guy, hardworking. I think he can turn that reporter cap on when he needs to. He plays a bit on the radio. I don't necessarily love the bit, but I respect him for what he is able to do. And he seems like the interactions I've had, at least, he seems like a really good guy. Um, but he said something to Spike that I think is relevant. You know, he said, "When you're seventy percent confident in something, pretend you're hundred percent because you'll get attention for it." And I'm paraphrasing for that. And I think that sort of mentality to always game for what's going to get you attention. Like I said, when you then transfer that into a more real-world environment like that press conference, yeah. I think it brings out the worst and
1: it's also, it's different to be 70% confident and speak with 100% confidence when it's just like, right. hey, I think this guy stinks at basketball, or oh, I think they should trade for this guy. When it's a, a literal crime that took right. place, it's like, maybe shut the fuck up until you have all <laughs> the evidence and information that you need. And by the way, I want to be clear that that's not directed at Angelo, who I love, and open no, opened lots of doors for me. That's directed at the people who were at the press conference yesterday.
0: Yes, I like I said, I've actually come to appreciate Angelo way more than I thought when I got in this industry because you meet him, you respect, you, you respect the work ethic, respect, like I said, he was incredibly nice to, I think, everyone he interacts with. But to go in there in that press conference, I just feel like you have an actual job, especially when it's a real-world issue, to tame that sort of thing, that, that, that aspect of your personality, that aspect of your job that you've been building for so long. Cut that back. And like I said, your job there. When you find out that the police don't currently have video evidence of the crime, sure, you're there to try to get information. Like I said, you're not there to try to fill in the dots with your own fantasy. It is time to dig, not sort of make yourself the center of attention, and it just felt like he was trying to make himself the center of attention. Well, you know, that's some people like to do that, Derek. You and I, it's a...
1: We have the two of us. There's no center of attention here until Devon gets back, and then we will have a center of attention, hopefully.
0: And if, if, if Devon wants <laughs> that center seat, he can have it, buddy.
1: Uh, well, I don't know if we can fit a center seat in here. It will be a Studio the A podcast for the foreseeable future, but we'll see.
0: All right. I think uh, I think that's probably all I had to say. It was just it was wild how quickly that escalated. Like yeah. one unsubstantiated report on Twitter, and then all of a sudden we're having a wild press conference. Wild
1: and news. again, to be clear, Derek and I don't really know – exactly what happened just like most people don't right now the difference is i'm not going to walk in to a press conference and beat somebody down about it that is learning about the whole thing just like you and i that that's all it comes down to
0: yep agreed all right so i guess we've had a couple games here where we've had you on but we haven't had you on for very long Mm -hmm. and i think like you mentioned there's a lot of people in the chat that are semi freaking out about their eight and three basketball team so, I guess just take a step back. what you've seen in the last two games, uh you know the some of the struggles the team has had, how do you look at that big picture wise like it's one thing to be frustrated in the twenty four hour span um when we watch these games, but does that what does that change in terms of your evaluation, your expectation, what they need what their their deficiencies are? Uh, are you substantially different than you were forty eight hours ago?
1: no, i mean the I will say that the the white and holiday defense on Maxi. Gave me some pause for sure because I know it's the second half of back-to-back. All these guys were dragging ass a little bit. A unique back-to-back, I'd say, too, where you play an Indiana team that's run, 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 and then you play one of your most hated rivals on national television. It's just a lot to deal with in the span of 24 hours. So I'm not beating anybody up over it. I I think there's been some weird process from – Tyrese, at times this year, obviously, when he's had it going, he's incredible. And even last night, in a game where I didn't think he played all that well, he still had some awesome flashes, and they were killing in those minutes without Joel, which in in some ways is a big credit to him. But I am starting to get worried about hey, it's just Tyrese creating, or they're kind of screwed, right? Like, I, I just think they need some other avenues to offense and maybe that's solved by just having more uber more batum these secondary guys around them but i don't know where that that spooked me a little bit other than that i mean look they're eight and three they've exceeded expectations their overall metrics i think are good so far i think the big thing that needs to be solved and it's why i think i'm more willing to make a trade for just any kind of ball handler right now than maybe you are. And certainly than Daryl Morey is, I cannot fucking watch these Joel lineups anymore with Pat Bev and spring or not springer, Pat Bev and Marcus Morris. And like, and I like Robert Covington, but Rob who can like barely dribble, you can only put so many players who can't dribble on the floor at the same time. And it's just not sustainable to play this way. Teams are going to double and triple team Joel and the guys around him have shown they are not prepared to deal with that reality and punish teams for doing that. So that's my big concern right now. And it's weird to say, because Joel said this in the locker room last night, I posted the video, basically put any four guys on the floor with him at a given time against bench lineups and they'll win those minutes. They might not win them by as much as they should, but they've been winning them for basically his entire career. For that to go out the window, that's a big red flag for me for where the roster's at.
0: Yeah, I don't think I disagree with you in terms of they desperately need a secondary ball handler and I'm even a backup point guard, but a secondary creator overall. I think my only difference is I am probably have a little more of an appetite to wait until December when more players are going to be traded or January when more players can mm-hmm. be traded or even towards deadline. I think they will be able to, you know, Tread water and still win at a high level. Still probably play at a top four seed kind of level. Even without getting that. Uh, I think last night was probably the perfect confluence of events to showcase their weakness. Because it is a back-to-back. Because it is against a team with probably the best perimeter defenders on the planet. Especially in terms of the guards. I think they're going to win a lot of games. Uh, I think they'll be able to, like I said... Be fine. Long term, I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm probably like Tyus Jones being brought up in the chat. Certainly, he would help.
1: I think he's like the high end version of yeah. that type of player. I'm
0: not, I, I, I think we're on the same page. I'm just I have more of an appetite to wait a little bit.
1: Yeah. I, well, so actually, we have to pay the bill. So we do. Do, we do your final ad read and then I'll come back to where wow. I'm at.
0: So, as Kyle mentioned, we want to take a quick break to talk about Foco. Foco is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With a pink football and tailgating season, it means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, everything you need for a game, Foco has. And Foco has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. Folko always has our back for Philly Sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use the promo code PHLY for 10% off.
1: So you brought up seeding. Like, yeah, they can play at a top-four seed level. I think if you're asking me how I've changed my view of the team based on the first 10-11 games, I think they should be gunning for a top-two seed. I I don't—nobody in the East— has impressed me enough to be like they had. They should just concede. Like, yeah. yeah, we we can hold down the fort for now, and then get. Obviously, the big star trade basically has to wait until January. They're not able to move a bunch of these guys, these stackable contracts that they have until later. And so, mm-hmm. point taken. I understand that a big move, an OG, a, you know, a star that shakes loose down the line, that's not going to happen for a little bit. But I think if you show some urgency right now, if you can get – I don't think that Tyus Jones is gettable now, but if you can just get a competent ball handler, I think that might be the difference between winning and losing a few games between now and the end of December. And I think that's worth giving up at least a second-round pick, like a decent second-round pick. I think if you're going from – let's say the difference is between two and four – is made between now and the end of December and you not trading for a backup guard is the difference between hosting a round two series and playing the Boston Celtics in round two without home court advantage. That's a massive, massive difference in terms of your playoff chances and allowing everything to kind of coal and just like general mood of the city and the franchise and frankly, the best player. And so if you can do that, if you can accomplish that right now, I'm not saying you can guarantee it by trading for, you know, Bones Highland if they were to pony up for him, Monte Morris in Detroit, Tyus Jones in Washington, like pick from a, a long list of guys who could be sixth man type bench captain guys. I would think you should make that deal sooner rather than later if it becomes available.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the devil will come down into the details a little bit. Uh, what's mm-hmm. it going to cost? Um, if you can get it done now, sure. Uh, I'm not against it. But uh, if it's going to cost a, a legitimate asset, then I am okay with waiting. But. Yeah.
1: it's. Uh, cause so I brought up Bones. We talked about Bones a little bit before the show, Derek, that there was a story that Chris Haynes did on the new Clippers uncertainty came out yesterday. And within that story, was revealed that Bones Highland is out of the rotation for, I believe it's at least the next five to six games. That Ty Lue came and talked to him, and Bones actually said, you know, it's it's tough and whatever, but it's Ty came and was very clear about what's happening. Blah blah blah. But so if he ends up being just completely out of the rotation, I don't love Bones. I think if you want to talk about poor defenders, yeah. he's about as bad as it gets. But. He's someone who can create his own shot, who I think has had a had a good start to the year before the Harden trade marginalized him a little bit. And if he ends up being an odd man out for the Clippers, I don't think it's crazy to take a flyer on him. And he's basically more advanced Terquavion Smith for this season. And then you figure it out after that.
0: No, but I, I think the only thing I would say is most of those trades where teams are basically giving up on players, they don't tend to happen in November.
1: That's true. But the Clippers are in a pretty unique situation right now that they made a big trade and are absolutely floundering. Not doing great, not, so, not doing great, yeah. You know, I don't, maybe the temperature gets turned up enough there that there is urgency to make a deal.
0: Outside of that, you know, the non-Embied minutes, or not, I'm sorry, the Embied minutes without Maxi have been
1: a train really rec. bad.
0: Really bad, we'll just leave it at really bad. Uh, is there anything, you know, I think one thing I would make just a quick change, Tobias, maybe play him some, with Embiid uh, in those lineups. So far this season, Tobias has played, uh, let's see, 71% of his minutes with both uh, Maxi and Embiid on the floor, 24% with Maxi and no Embiid, so he's been tied to that lineup quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Only 5% of his minutes have come with uh, Embiid and no Maxi. Switch that up a little bit. Uh, Not that Tobias is a traditional ball handler, but he can advance the ball, especially when he's being defended by a four. He can advance the ball a little bit. He can create, uh, attack a mismatch at the very least. Give you somebody who can at least... Give you an option, especially with Kelly maybe out, with Batum out. I think Batum coming back, and it sounds like Batum might miss one more game due to personal reasons, and then come it back. is
1: possible he plays tomorrow in, Ad- right. in Atlanta, but at Brooklyn it sounds Sunday. like a guarantee right. on Sunday. Yeah. He
0: will certainly help, and you'd like to see that him attached to that lineup as well. Uh, no more Marcus Morris. I think that's got to be a thing. You know, I think I was pretty hard there on the Pat Bev and Marcus Morris lineups. I don't necessarily like. Pat Bev's being lumped into that. I actually think Beverly has played slightly better this season than I thought coming in. I don't want him necessarily out of the rotation. I just don't want both of them on the floor at the same time and specifically Morris on the floor really at all. But I think if you're going to have Beverly on there uh, and I think defensively, he's been okay. Like he's certainly giving you a a jolt a little bit there. You just need somebody else who can advance the ball, who can make decisions, who can act as a little bit of a facilitator at very least get the ball in a duel on the post. So I think you need, if you're going to have Beverly on the floor, you need that lineup constructed a little more thoughtfully.
1: Yeah. So Beverly's problem is sort of the DeAnthony thing, right? Where neither one of those guys should or can be a lead ball handler for a team. And combining two half ball handlers in one backcourt does not give you a whole one unfortunately and so they tried
0: that with the richardson era sixers and it didn't work then either
1: so it's they're trying to cobble this together without having a real guy who's like okay that's that's the guy who's getting us into our sets he's a guy who we can run and pick and roll with joel right now it's just a, a big mess and i will say the last couple of games with DeAnthony catching fire a bit from three seeing him start to lean into the pull-up game some more. It's like, okay, he's he's making some steady progress there, that that's going to help those units out. It does give them a little bit more of a threat on offense. But, yeah, I, I just don't see how you can get through this season with half-ball handlers at best all throughout the Embiid right. lineups. And the big one, Derek, his name came up. And I don't think he's in the rotation once these guys are healthy and whole. Marcus Morris just can't play. You, you can't have him on the floor. He shouldn't be in the
0: rotation tomorrow.
1: It it doesn't matter if the other guys are healthy. If you need to play Jayden Springer, on Korkmaz, who I know you and Rich brought up yesterday on the pod that at least somebody who can dribble and shoot, in theory, I would play guys like that and play small to just make sure yeah. that Marcus Morris is nowhere near the court. Hell, I would... I'd give Turquavion Smith, who's on a two-way deal, I would call him up specifically to try to play him over Marcus Morris, even though he's like, what, six to seven inches shorter probably yep. and very different lineups that you're putting on the floor. I would do anything to make sure that Morris is not getting rotation minutes right now. It's sad because it would be a, it would have been a cool story yeah. for him to come home and you know get like the rejuvenation factor and yeah. play well, but he's been horrible. We
0: say all this. We have nothing against Marcus Morris. He's done nothing not. to us. He's been a consummate professional most of his career. He was a pretty good NBA player pretty recently. Yeah, Time came at him fast. And I think like if, if Nick wanted to give him, what's he played now, four games here with the Sixers, wanted to give him a chance to see if he had anything left, fine. I was stunned. He brought him back there in the third quarter after what mm-hmm. we saw in the first half. Can't make that mistake again. I just it, Unless you're really decimated by injuries, I'm just not sure what he's giving you on either end of the court. To like, It, it would be one thing if he was a reliable spot-up shooter or maybe a capable scorer or somebody who was at least in the right spots defensively. He's none of those things, and he looks slow, and his reaction times are down. He just doesn't look like he has anything left. It's a shame. It happens to everyone at some point, and I think we're there with Marcus.
1: Look, man, when he came in first day and was like, I think people are going to be surprised by, you know, what I have to give. There was a very small part of me that was like, man, it'd be a right. cool yeah. story that, yeah. you know, he was out of the rotation, homecoming. He's like surrounded by old friends and family, gets a chance. and am like, all right. He just like takes the baton and runs with it. And then he went out there and I was like, fuck, this is yeah. the same thing. We saw in LA toward the end of his time there that, He just doesn't have it anymore, man. And look, it it comes at different times for everybody. A couple years ago, if they have been able to get Marcus Morris, I I think he would have been an awesome fit next to Joel. Tough guy, can shoot the ball, can do a little bit of secondary creation, whatever, but there's just nothing left, man. And the defense is a train wreck at this point because he has lost enough of a step athletically that – the poor reads or off-ball awareness is now being punished a lot harder than it was a couple of seasons ago And frankly, he was a good defender in a lot of different matchups. So it's, it's been unfortunate, but it is what it is.
0: Agreed. Agreed. No need
1: for the stock report on that one. That's yeah, no. that stock is through the floor. You I, I brought the props here, but Derek, I think, padded enough time into the show <laughs> grandstanding about Howard Eskin and Kelly
0: Oubre <laughs> that we're not going well, to get to Well, it's funny, I was going to grandstand about it, and then you just sort of took the <laughs> baton and, and ran with it. Um, yeah. No, look, I, I, I think there are, like, the need for another ball handler and shot creator is real. Uh, I think we would have said that during our eight-game winning streak. It was certainly shown uh, quite vividly there last night the other stuff you know the the need for better distributed bench minutes um that was infuriating i still think when i, I zoom back and look at this team tyrese maxey developing into a you know what did you take the over on 25 i think that was your preseason thing i took the over on 6 we're both looking pr- six assists we're both looking pretty good in both of those if both of those end up being true that is the uh, overriding storyline of the first 10 games of the season that for is sure. the most important takeaway the fact that there are still some things we can nitpick about the overall construction of the team, and that's fine and we'll focus on that a lot in the coming months because that next move is going to be debated a lot and it should be because that's what you need for a championship, but the base is still something I'm more confident in now than I was a month ago and that is more important than anything else.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a good place to leave it for today right there. We'll, we'll be We'll be Back in studio on
0: after tomorrow's game, me and you.
1: Friday night in season tournament battle against the Atlanta Hawks. It's a big one because I believe if they lose, they're definitely eliminated yeah, from the in-season no tournament. So we are rooting hard for a potential Vegas trip, not for the Sixers necessarily. Uh so we'll see you guys after Friday night's game. As always, just want to thank everybody who I've seen that's here. Randy and Sean and Dave, Eric, Alex rj's rc another alex martian lynch two minute warning brennan city of brotherly shove great name by the way thank you guys all for joining us today if on the way out you could hit that subscribe button and the bell icon so you get notified every time we go live give us a thumbs up on the video the youtube algorithm likes that a whole heck of a lot and derek i will talk to you soon
0: sounds good